Jacob Chastain, as we start this podcast, I have absolutely no question for you, (laughs) (laughs) except there's one thing I'm curious about, Uh and that is, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, my God. Time. I want time. We were just talking about how, you know, there is so much stuff going on, personal stuff, professional stuff, and it's just, it is a wild time right now and I just this is the first time in a very long time where I feel oh like not even like swamped isn't even the word right like it's just chaos is what it really feels like and not like I'm not like you know dying or anything like that but it's a you know just you know people obviously know that I'm I'm you know (laughs) at a high school and learning how to be uh, an administrator and and trying to do a good job and 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 all the things that entails and um a lot of personal stuff that has just been very complicated uh and so there are an infinite amount of things that go on and so literally from the moment I wake up to when I go to bed and even then there are things that I'm just working on and doing, and there's all these to do's and it is, it is an adjustment. And I was, you know, and it's, uh, I've been doing podcasting for seven years and writing professionally for four years and, uh, you know, running, you know, our, the Facebook page for, you know, four years, five years. And so there's just a lot of stuff that goes on just kind of on the outside and teach me teacher as a business and craft and draft and, and managing that. And there's so much that just happens. And so by the end of the day, I'm like, Holy crap. I just, I feel like I didn't even conquer a lot. Like it was, you know, there's just, it's just stuff on stuff on stuff. And, and a lot of it's good. You know, I enjoy like my day today from, 8 a.m. I I had a meeting and then I had another meeting and then we had an issue we had to deal with with THC vapes. And so we had to handle that. And it goes from one thing to the next. And it before I know it, it's the end of the day. And I look at my email and I have to go, oh, my Lord, there's still more to do. And so I make phone calls and I respond to emails and that's just the, the school side of things. And then I go home and there's the home stuff that we have to do. And, you know, for everyone that listens to the podcast regularly or listens to me regularly, there is my son who needs support because he is special needs. And there's everything that goes into that, which is, Uh, been fairly complex this year and it's just you know I think a lot of people are feeling this this year I think it's a you know truthfully I don't really know what it is I think it's a maybe it's a holdover from COVID so to speak it is a you know it's like we we did so much um through COVID that our our brains got used to the things that were happening in COVID and that delayed a lot of stuff and it delayed progress on a lot of things. And it made things kind of go slower in a way. COVID slowed down 
society in a certain way for uh, for longer than I think anyone predicted it would. Mm-hmm. And now I think that society kind of jump started back, so to speak. And so it feels like things are just ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And I talked to my teachers about this and they feel the same way. They're like, we don't feel like we look at our work and the, the work itself isn't more than we've ever seen necessarily. It's just, it's like this weird feeling of just there, there's not enough time. Everything's going so fast. Everything is changing and it is, it is a weird time to just be alive mm-hmm. and, and live. And it's, it's, it, I'm sure there will be, there will be sociological studies about post COVID things. There will be like, I'm sure there'll be statistics that come out all over the place um, about a variety of, of things that are going on and my son is outside this we have a little candy machine that has m&ms mm-hmm. and you like a like you know one of the one turny ones where you like put a quarter in and so if you hear weird clicking in the background that's him so um in any case so let me let me just say something that i thought was really interesting today i was talking to our lead counselor today you know admin and counselors we're always partnering at the high school level on a variety of things i was talking to her about an issue and she we were talking about alternative kind of placements for a student who really does need kind of an alternate placement. Like traditional school is just, it hasn't been serving this kid for a long time. And it's coming to a point to where, you know, they could potentially drop out and obviously no educator ever wants to see that. So we're having these conversations and she goes, I said, you know, could we send them, you know, some resources and a list of, you know, some alternative stuff to see if they, if that's even an option for them. And she goes, yeah, she goes, I'm always willing to do that. But she goes, look at this. She goes, this place is full. 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 And I go, oh, yeah, because it's December, right? And she goes, no, they've been full since before August. And I go, what's going on? And she goes, she goes, well, a lot of people were struggling with traditional school and they've just gotten more full as school has happened because people aren't handling traditional institutions the same way kids aren't operating in traditional schools the way they always have been um and i I think educators see this i think we we see you know we're we're showing up and we're doing the work and we're you know kids are kids and you know we've had tough years and in great years and um years in between but there's a lot that we're seeing where it's like oh oh man like this is there's so many needs here and we show up and do the work but what i think what is undeniable and i think public education as a whole is about to have a reckoning i truly do where it's like you know for a long time educators who are in the know teachers that are on the cutting edge teachers that are are dying to push things in different ways and to teach a different way because they know their kids need it the system itself is now finally facing ragnarok so to speak it's it's facing a moment of of uh, uh of revelation of of really going you know what are we going to hold fast to what we've always done or is this, is this, are we going to change? And if we hold fast, it's going to collapse. And here in a, I mean, it'll be a slow collapse. <laughs> it's probably been a slow collapse <laughs> for a while. But, you know, within a decade, I can see the entire public education system of America completely changing. Um, simply because of the needs of students and the needs of families 
Um, I could see, uh, you know, in uh, southern states, um, Texas, Florida, some other places, you know, the the reinvigoration of charter schools is happening in private schools and home schools and pods. There's a lot of teachers who I follow on Instagram who have been teaching for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. And they're now like retired. But what they do is they run like homeschool stuff. So what they do, like there's a teacher I follow. She's amazing. She's a kindergarten teacher. Um, I haven't ever had her on Teach Me Teacher, but I want to. She has retired from public education, but she subs. But she also has like kids that come to her house like twice or three times a week. And she runs like a little school in her house, like basically is extra tutoring for them. Um, and I could mm-hmm. see that happening all over the place where teachers, you know, they they take their expertise and they either join a smaller coalition like what charters are. Right. We forget. And for anyone that wants history on this, <laughs> I know the answer is going really long. But now I'm on a, yeah. I'm, now I'm on an informational <laughs> <you're> on streak. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to learn more about kind of the history of charters and, and the, the rise and fall and almost the re-rise, Teacher Wars is an amazing book. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite teacher books of all time. Um, but there's tons of information, such as the rise of unions, um, the, the kind of history with that, why unions are so politically charged still to this day, and kind of the rise of charters. And the original idea of charters were if you're in a school, let's say 800, but there's like seven teachers that really want to do something special. You can open a charter within the school. That was like the original idea of a charter, not Mm -hmm. a separate place, but like a school within a school. Um, That idea didn't really pan out for a variety of reasons. A lot of it was legislative, but I can looking at the landscape and how legislation is changing in America, but more importantly, how the needs of kids are changing and being really diverse and how education itself is changing because information is so available that kids are, we talked about this on the last podcast we did together. Kids are changing. Kids are evolving. Kids are, uh, their, their brains have been changing for a long time. COVID has exacerbated that and and in some instances accelerated it. And so I think we're we're in this weird space where we're trying to contend with old models, old systems, old ways of thinking when the 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 fabric of education and society is is really evolving in different ways. And I think that's where this feeling comes from of just stress and overwhelmness and the the daily work of what we're doing is is like a whirlwind of endless to do's and we we're doing a lot but it feels like we're doing nothing and I don't know you know I can see I can see me very being very wrong about my prophecy at the beginning of this podcast but I can also (laughs) see myself um being accurate I don't I don't I don't know if I'm afraid for the future so much as just confused (laughs) like it's more of a it's more of a I'm here for the ride you know I'm always gonna I'm always going to be on the cutting edge, but I, I am really interested to see how everything lands. And that was an 11 minute answer to your question about what I want for Christmas. I'm gonna say, <laughs> I didn't expect that <laughs> from what you want. I just got quiet and let you go on. <laughs> I cannot believe so, it. Took, I just remembered so. what the question was by the end of that. <laughs> so in a small word, you want time. <laughs> That's exactly right. 
<laughs> well, just to make sure I was clear. I'm glad oh you went time. Welcome to Craft and Draft, everybody. <laughs> That's Jacob Chastain. Too bad we can't roll back some time, but here we are. Uh, Jacob, what else are we going to talk about today? I wish we were recording video. That would have been a great clip. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to have to clip the audio of that because I just, that was hilarious. That's like one at a time. Good Lord. <laughs> Welcome to Craft and Draft, everyone. <laughs> Yes. What are we talking about? We're talking about reading conferences, believe it or not. That's where we're going with this conversation. Um, Inspired by one of our Patreon supporters. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Um, But yes, we're jumping into reading conferences. That's something, you know, I feel like we talk a lot about writing. We talk a lot about writing conferences. Um, And so we haven't hit on reading conferences in a little bit. And this is something that's you know, it's near and dear to what we do. I think it's incredibly important. So I, I imagine we'll, we'll dive into a lot of, uh, you know, nuanced versions of what we're really going for in this episode. So I'll read that question. It's a very short question, but we'll hit on that in just a second. But ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is really only existence because you subscribe, you review, and you keep this podcast alive. So whether you are a Patreon supporter or not, subscribe so you don't miss any other podcasts. Drop them every single Friday as much as we can. Leave a review letting other educators know that this is a podcast worthy of their time. And if you want bonus episodes, bonus training, and access to never-before-seen content or direct access to us... Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash craft and draft. You can find that link at craftsdraftworkshop.com. Just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, and Hannah all have. They support us at various levels and stay active with us on our small little community that we have over there um, and keep things alive. There's wonderful stuff coming. We have a training coming up that will be relevant to a lot of people. So we're excited to announce that, but we are not going to talk about some of that right now. We'll talk about it a little bit later. So join the Patreon if you want the notices of that. But other than that, we're going to talk about reading conferences today. We're going to jump to that right now. All righty, Miss Ochoa, let's read this question. So we put out a message to some people and said, hey, what are some of your struggles? What are some of the things you want us to talk about? And lo and behold, we are at a question. And this question really does, it's very simple. It's from someone who has been supporting us for quite a while, which is always nice. And the question goes, and it's from Leah. She says, reading conferences. That was her question. So we're going to talk about reading. <laughs> that was the question. That's right. That's all she said. So she wants, to hit, on, she said. She wants to hit on reading conferences. So that's why I said we're going to all probably right. cover a lot today. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I've been talking for a little bit on this. That's what happens when the question gets pivoted to me first. But when you think of reading conferences, you know, what are their... What are the actually, you know what I, I got to I was going to say, what are your kind of general thoughts about it? But let's go a little bit beyond that. What do you feel like are common misconceptions about what reading conferences are? Well, the I think the thing that makes it most difficult is. And how it's different than writing is when somebody brings their writing to you, you can actually see where there's an issue. But if you are not monitoring those students, 
you can't really see where there's an issue. You do not know if they're having problems with the vocabulary. You don't, I mean, you can't just tell, you can tell they're trying to read and they look like they might be reading, but you really are not sure. And the only way you can find out about it is if you actually ask them. So like today, one of my questions today that I had asked the kids was to ask them actually three questions today. And one was, when you read today, what difficulty, what what part of what you read today gave you difficulty? I wanted to know what was the most difficult part of what you read today and why? And so then I modeled that for them. I told them in the book that I was reading, the part that was most difficult was the fact that it was in a country that I was, or an area that I was not familiar with. So I had trouble with the language when they were actually doing dialogue. I was having trouble with some of the slang. And so then my next question was, well, what do you do when you, how do you deal with that difficulty? What do you do to improve it? And so with that, we talked and I, I was able to explain what I do. And so I just went around and kind of just, Uh, looked at their answers and then we talked about it and I didn't get to every child so I just got to a few today I might get to a few tomorrow and uh, and so I try to try to do that as often as I can the other question that I asked was what was the easiest and why and so those are the things that I did today so I think I think what makes um reading conferences difficult. And I know that's not exactly what you asked, but I think that's where my brain is at. And that is the fact that you've got to come up with questions and it's hard to come up with questions if you are not really knowing where that student is. I mean, you can ask basic questions like, what are you reading? And do you like it? But I mean, we've got to move beyond that. And I think knowing how to do that is probably the most difficult part and making it seem natural because it needs to sound somewhat natural like this is just something that we do so at first it's kind of awkward and so I think sometimes if it's too awkward we as teachers will stop this isn't working and then you just whatever but uh, I know that we have come across some administrators here and there that are nervous about students reading but I think you have shown that if you are monitoring by conferencing and then you record those conferences, you can actually show growth over time, which means that the reading is actually helping the kids, helping their their reading become better. And I think um, that's something that's easy to overlook uh, to me as a teacher. Like I can get through a whole day and go, oh, I didn't even talk to one kid about what they were reading today. You know, I mean, I can go through a whole time and and a whole class. And like you said, you're talking about time. I'll run out of time. So I have to make sure it's purposeful and I've got to plan for it. And so I plan for it by pre-writing some of those questions. And then I allow the questions to kind of guide me. Like when they start answering the questions and I'll do that. So they're like, if they say something like, well, uh, it's the, I'm having to stop all the time because I don't know the words. Well, then you say, okay, well, let's count how many words on this page do you not know? Well, if they don't know more than five, then chances are the Lexile level is too high for them. And we probably need to get a book that they can handle. But we don't want to give get a book that's so easy that they know every word and they're not challenged at all. So those are some of the things that uh, I think as a teacher, if we're not used to doing it, we kind of, 
you know, fall out of, um, we'll just let it go, I guess is the point. And then um, the other thing too is being able to feed off of their answers and knowing how to direct them. So you almost have to have a plan in mind uh, when you're when you're conferencing. Uh, you've got to kind of stay true to your standard uh, and maybe pull, like just be really comfortable with your standards, being comfortable with what these students need to be able to do in order to become better readers. And you kind of let those actually guide you. And so maybe having a bank of questions that you could fall back on can help you with that. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, we've talked a lot about this and this is probably something that, I don't know. We should probably do a better job about communicating this out to the wider web, you know, cause they're, they're, we have our regular listeners and our Patreon supporters and stuff, but really I feel like the value of our perspective is that we come about it from a, we're always trying to build the bridge between the more, non-workshop world to us, right? We're trying to, mm-hmm. we're, we're always trying, we're never really trying to just buck the system. It's more of a, Hey, let's figure out how this can work together and make those conversations happen. And, um, you said something that made me think about that, which was in, in classrooms, you know, especially in secondary, But when we have people that are resistant and by people, I mean, adults that are resistant to teachers having kids read, um, usually that comes about because when you walk into a space and you see a bunch of kids, quote unquote, reading, um, but in a way that isn't really being monitored, what you see are kids not really engaged with their reading. You see not there's there's no response there's no reflection there's no connection you see a teacher reading or worse not reading while the kids are reading and they're off doing just answering emails or sitting at their desk they're not even moving around the room um or or sitting somewhere where proximity is uh a quality aspect to it and that looks really bad In in a lot of Mm -hmm. in a lot of respects, and doesn't mean that what's happening is bad. It just means it from the outset and from the outside, it does look negative. So you can see how someone can walk in and go, "Yeah, we why are we doing this? This kid's not reading. This kid's half asleep. This kid's playing on his phone. This kid's on his laptop doing something else." Um, and and it's 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 a struggle, and so. But that's not what workshop reading is, right? What workshop reading is, is, is kids are, are going to their books with goals, with a focus, and they're active, they're being asked and being charged with actively engaging within that reading time. And that can be done with questions. It can be done with student delivered goals. It can be done with uh, teacher driven goals. Um, it can be done by in a, in a variety of ways. Um, and it can be tracked in a variety of ways, but the difference between drop everything and read, which is fine in and of itself, I don't, I think there's value in that as well. And, and workshop reading is that your workshop through your novel, your story, your article, your picture book, whatever it is that you're reading. And so that process I think is, is what teachers should focus on, especially with, um, 
reading conferences because reading conferences comes down to the teacher. Because what do you see when a teacher is really engaged in reading conferences? They are walking around the room or pulling kids up to them and they're having quick two to three minute conversations about kids books and they're moving on, but also they're tracking information. They're saying, what are kids saying? They're jotting down the the key things that they're saying. They're asking targeted questions. So if you're working on characterization, you're asking about characterization. If you're talking about setting, you're asking about setting. If you're talking about author's craft, you're asking about author's craft and any admin, any, principal, any district person that walks into a classroom where kids are not just reading, they're reading with purpose. And that purpose can be visibly seen in a variety of ways, whether it's speaking, whether it's writing, whether it is sharing. Um, I think though it's undeniable that those things are valuable, but it comes down to setting the systems up in your classroom to make that happen, right? It comes down to really making your classroom reflect the learning that is going on. And that's really, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to making thinking visible, which is not, not the book, although the book is really great for anyone who hasn't read it. Making thinking visible is an incredible book. One of the best professional books I've ever read. Um, but just making the, the thinking visible, it's good because teachers, it's good data for teachers. It's good data for kids to look at themselves. And it's good data for anyone that walks in. Um, and sometimes I feel like we forget that last piece. We, we forget that, you know, when, when the people that come into our spaces enjoy what they're seeing, that means we get to keep doing what we want to do. It doesn't mean a dog and pony show. It means showing educators that come into our spaces the work that we are doing. And this is conversations that I've had with uh, my English teachers, especially it's like, you know, when we have like pre conferences for T tests, I'm constantly going no, like this is like, have kids talk, you know, do what you want to do, like let kids read, I want to see what kids read when you have a class full of readers. That tells me so much about what's going on in your class. I can tell within a handful of minutes during reading time, whether you have set up reading to be valuable for kids or whether it's just something to fill time. And, and I think anyone that's been in enough reading workshops or anyone that's been in enough English classrooms, you can tell that it's the same way you can tell how there can be direct teaching happening and five kids are engaged, but there can be direct teaching and every kid is engaged. It's not really about the method. It's about how you construct it and, and pull the kids and, and how you're showing that learning. And so when you think about reading conferences, if you're going to these, it's really about what's your goal. It's not, there are times and places to talk about, like you said, to go, is this difficult? Is it not? Um, is it, or do you understand what's happening? What's your favorite part? Hey, what are you reading? Oh, that's great. What name, name a scene that just happened. Oh, you like that? Can you show me that in the book? Oh, could you read that? Read this part out for me, right? And go through those conversations. But there's also times where you can go, so what do you think the the big idea is in your book so far? What, what do you think the author is trying to convey by having the characters uh, interact this way? And then guess what? Those are questions that kids are now being asked on standardized tests. They're being asked to respond mm -hmm. to questions like that. And so it really is. It's conferencing to me. And I feel the same way in writing. Um, but reading conferences are 
it's it's the pulse of what's happening during reading time that you're constantly kind of checking to decide, okay, what, what do I need to talk about in my mini lessons? What do I need to hone in on a little bit more to fine tune their thinking? Where are my readers at? Are we really struggling? Are we really thinking? Or are we just reading to kind of uh, pass the time? And, you know, that's so to me, it's data gathering. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for the, the data gathering. I think that's exactly what you're doing. And even if you're asking like the questions I did today, I'm I'm gathering, do they even have a fix-up strategy? Do they know when they're lost? I mean, a lot of times students don't even know that they're not reading. They're reading all the words, but they're, they don't understand that they're not getting the meaning out of it. So I think you have to have a combination of what the questions I ask and the questions that you just asked, because... Uh, they have got to understand that reading is about all of those things. It's about making meaning with the text. It's about finding um, something that you can pull and connect to that might be thematic or, or that might be a, a, a theme or a message from the author. And so I think it's real important that you do that. I do like the fact that you said it's the pulse because, you know, it's the heart of everything. But uh, <laughs> so I do think. I do think I like the fact that it is the pulse. Um, it's when you can check, is it, is it working? I think, I think I have a class. I have a class of readers that if they're not reading, they're begging me to read. And it's like, yeah, but we don't have time to read right now. We're doing something else. No, but we have to read, you know? And so I have that class. And then I have the other class. It's like, um, I'm just going to throw some names. They're not real names that I have, but it would be like Jimmy. Why do you have your computer up? Jimmy, put that down, Jimmy. You know, and it's so I have that class as well. And so if you walk into that class, you might get a misinterpretation of what we're trying to do. But but when I, I go to those students that are not reading, and then that is also a reading conference, it doesn't have to be getting onto them all the time. It could be something like, Jimmy, why are you not reading? What are you doing instead? Why are you choosing what you're doing instead of the reading? And then now you have an idea uh, that, well, I can't find a book I like. I don't like reading. I uh, All your books are boring, boring on your shelf, you know, that kind of thing. All right, so you've got your computer out. Let's go to the card catalog. Let's see if we can find something in the library. Now you go down and get it. Um, you know, so those are some things that you can do, and you can stop some stuff, uh, but you can do it through your re reading conferences. And I think by collecting that data, you can you can kind of keep that data. And, you know, right now what I've been doing is, you know, in that rocket book, like you, you shared with me, uh, then I just put it in my folder and now I can go back and look at all of that. And it's already on my computer. So that's pretty cool. I've enjoyed that. And so now we just took our interim, you know, the interim reading, the, our, uh, benchmark for star and, uh, in that benchmark for star, the interim. And so now I take, I take that data and I can look and see, okay, so, and I'm just going to say Jimmy, I don't have a Jimmy, so that's why I can say that. But anyway, Jimmy, he uh, scored low in this area. Well, now I can go back and look at my data. Did I actually catch that or did I not catch that? So next time when I do a reading conference, whatever he's low, I can turn it into a question like you're asking. So instead of just giving him uh, worksheet after worksheet after worksheet, trying to get him to get better at that one question, I can handle it in a workshop. He doesn't feel like he's being um, disciplined for not knowing something. 
uh, it's something we've been doing this whole time. And so therefore it's a natural process in a classroom, but you really do have to have it as a natural process. And so a lot of times I'll walk around the room. I do, I did, uh, I've also pulled them up to me as well. So I do both. And it just depends on what we're doing and and also how they're behaving. Because sometimes if I pull them up, then I got to deal with somebody over there. They think that I'm not listening. And that one class, the another class, I can pull them up. It's no big deal. You know, I can just keep going and everybody's not even noticed what I'm doing because they're all readers. And so I've got two classes that are really good readers. And I got one class where half of them are readers, but I've got about... I probably have about eight kids in all that uh, they still haven't figured out if they like to read, if they don't like to read. I mean, they're still reading the little, uh, um, you know, those little chapter, not chapter books. I, I lost it. Graphic novels that are mm-hmm. like the, the dog man. Yeah. Not even amulet. I mean, I need them to <laughs> at least get there. They're down still in fourth grade <laughs> dog man and all that stuff. So I haven't moved them off of that and, and I'm, and I'm trying, but every time I turn around, they're having to do that. So I'm, my conferences are like, let's see if we can find you a book that you might like. And uh, so I've got some stubborn ones out there, just like everybody else does. So that's what I have to do is try to deal with them. And a lot of times I might do that in a conference. I that honestly for any conference, whether it's reading, writing, whatever conference after a test to me, it it really is the it's the time to build relationships. It's the time to get to know your kids so that you can help them more. Probably one of the things that I miss the most about being in the classroom as the teacher, because I'm still in classrooms and classrooms all the time is is really serving as like the, you know, the Donalyn Miller book whisperer, you know, being able to get to know a kid and slowly start handing them things that they like or engaging them that way. And I do it sort of like I, uh, you know, there's kids that come to me in the hallway and go, Oh, I tried that book and I'm 50 pages in already and I'm hooked. And so I have those conversations and when I'm in a classroom of a, a teacher who teaches kind of with the independent reading in mind, I'm always, you know, going up to kids and going, Oh, I, uh, uh, you know, I'll see a book on their desk and I'm like, Oh, how do you like that? And they're like, Oh, I really do like it. And I'd be like, okay, here's two other books. I think you'll enjoy when you're done with that. And then you know, a month later, they'll come to me and go, Hey, I tried that and I really liked it. Or, you know, I won't hear from it. And so it's, it's those moments that, are super valuable to me. It's, it's the building of the, of the trust with kids and, and knowing who they are and just leaning into it, leaning into, you know, book people like recommend books. And so when you do that, kids start to trust you. And now the ultimate goal is to get them to where they trust themselves and they can navigate bookshelves and bookstores and libraries and, and truly, get what they want and know how to navigate to do that. Cause I've, I've said multiple times and I don't, I don't know if I, I'm pretty sure I didn't get this from myself. I'm pretty sure I got it from someone else, but you know, even navigating books is its own language. We've, we've talked about how we, we take for granted the complexities of walking into a store, a library, a home library, a classroom library, and seeing a bunch of spines. And as book people, we can kind of navigate that. But when it comes to 
people that aren't as familiar, they might struggle to navigate in certain genres. Like I can walk into, you know, I know how to not only find the genres that I like, but I can tell by book spines, book covers and stuff what I might end up liking. And so that's its own language. And so I believe a part of the the conference, but also part of the classroom library is really building up student capacity to navigate books and the the language of books and book covers and you know why why are fantasy books so long you know what does that mean and 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 what what does book size mean what can you tell by the awards that are on covers different awards mean different things all awards are not created equal they tell you a lot about what books are you know i got a Cormac McCarthy just released uh, his newest book, um, and it is it's called The Passenger, and it's a two part book. The second part comes out later in December, um, and Cormac McCarthy wrote The Road and All the Pretty Horses and Blood Meridian and No Country for Old Men, and so I know very well what kind of book I'm getting from Cormac McCarthy. He's, he's a very specific writer. Um, but that comes with knowledge. It comes with reading experience. And I feel like sometimes we, we undervalue, uh, how long it takes to build that. And I think that is honestly one of our defenses when we, when we have conversations with people who maybe don't value the work that we do really going in and going, Hey, you know, like, do we want kids to pass tests? Sure. But do we want them to become lifelong readers so they have uh, a successful life in the future? Absolutely. And so that comes with building that capacity. And the only way we can do that is having dedicated reading time. And the only way to make dedicated reading time valuable is to have dedicated, targeted conferences with kids over and over and over again, because you learn who they are, you learn their reading style, you learn their reading needs. And so you can serve them to the best of your ability in the ways that they need. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that. But independent reading time with choice in mind and conferencing, I just I just really don't see a method that is that is more effective at creating readers. There might be more effective ways to create test takers. Maybe there might be more effective ways to get kids to play the game of school, but you know, we're, we're interested in something bigger than that. And I think, I think this creates test people that can take tests well as well. I think it does all of that, but it does more than that. And that is, that's something that we should advocate for, uh, not only for our own practices, but really for the lives of kids. Oh, no, I agree. And I mean, if you go back to um, your question earlier, your answer to your question earlier, and you were talking about how how COVID or post-COVID has really changed the world. And I, I do think that giving that time to read is something that they were not doing during COVID time on their own because they were at home. Uh, they had too many other distractions. And I, there's just something that's peaceful about sitting down and reading a book. And you got a little noise in the background. You know, I think our neighbor that we used to work with or well, she's 
a little further down the hall for me than I like, but she's still my friend. But anyway, she puts a little white noise, you know, like the other day I went by her room and she had on the, you know, it's kind of gotten cool in here. So she put on uh, the um, YouTube video that has like the fireplace going and a little crackle and, you know, that kind of stuff as a background noise. And it was just peaceful. And you can see all the kids were reading and it was just a, nice environment and i think there's just nothing more peaceful than that and i and i'm not so sure that's not what our kids need is a little bit of peace uh and a little way for them to get away from the day and there's not a better way to do that than to read and give them that moment in time we've already taken recess away from most of them anyway we've already taken away their own private time this is the one place during silent sustained reading time writing time Okay, both of those situations offer a student a moment where they can stop, get away from their world for a second, go into another world, even if it's inside the classroom, go into another world and enjoy a place and a place that's probably safe for them. And I think that's one of the things I like about being a reading teacher is I allow them I I give them that time. And over time, I mean, that little class, it's a little squirrely and they don't like to sit down and read at first. And I've had trouble with them. They're now starting to read books. As a matter of fact, uh, the other day, one of them said, well, Miss Ochoa, I finished this book. I don't have any more to read on it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So they were so excited that they, you know, and they wanted to share it with me that they finished a book. And it was not a small book. It was one of their first, probably their first really true novels that they've on their own chose and read and finished and was it there was nothing about me that said you have to read that book you know and so but they were excited enough to tell me about it because they know due to the fact that I talked to them about their reading they know I'm interested and they'll be happy to let me know those things and so this is the one place I think they can have that peace that moment I mean yes I agree we have to have targeted moments but every once in a while I'll just say today we're going to read and we're not doing anything else we're just going to read. And I don't ask them any questions. And I'll sit down. And those are the days that I'll sit down and read with them. I do it about every two weeks or so where I don't do anything with them but read. And I sit down and read. And uh, I might say, if y'all want, you can talk about your books for a second, you know, when it's over. But that's about it. I don't ask them about their books. I don't make it into an assignment. And I'll let them read. I just don't do it every day. Man, oh man, reading conferences. Any any closing thoughts for someone that has, maybe they're struggling with their reading conferences and they're trying to get the most out of it. When you, when you feel like something's floundering, how do you, how do you refocus on reading conferences? Let that, let's that be the last thought. How do you do that? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, I think recording when you do them, purposefully planning for them would be the, the first thing you need to do. And so you need to kind of imagine your classroom and what it would be like during your reading conference to kind of pre-think yourself doing it. Uh, I, that's what I do. And then um, and then I come up with some questions that in my mind that I'm going to ask no matter what. And these are questions based on, like you said earlier, things that we're doing. Uh, as far as standards or things I'm interested in. I want to know if they are having difficulty. I want to know if they found a book that they like. It just depends on what I know. So what I do is I kind of pre-think those questions and I make sure I record it. The other thing I don't do is if I don't get, I don't 
I don't try to get to everybody every day, but I do record who I get to so that I don't miss out. And so within a, a month or whatever, I will try to make sure that I've sat down with every kid if I've missed somebody. I can do it sooner than that, but I mean, at least within a month, I would want to try to get to everybody or within three-week period, whatever it is. So I just kind of set myself a goal, and I don't beat myself over it if I don't make it. If I don't make it, I reset, I restart. But the most important thing is you watch the kids, you take notes, and you talk to them about their books. And ladies and gentlemen, that is it for Craft and Draft. Thank you for listening. Come back next week. We're going to hit on some things. We got some things cooking uh, for you all. Thank you for everyone who supports us on Patreon. We know times are tough. The economy is wild. So every amount that you give and support is amazing to us. So truly, truly thank you for that. We're going to make it worth your while in December. A hundred and thousand percent. At least we hope. So that is our goal, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to join and get in on the action, access bonus videos, bonus content, and access to our upcoming training, join us over there on Patreon. We would love to have you. But if you don't have any bucks to toss our way, no big deal. Subscribe so you don't miss any podcast coming out leave a review to let other people know that this podcast is worth your time and as always know that we are here for you